Welcome to episode 8 of Sound Learnings, a podcast about education in audio, music technology and music production, sponsored by Routledge. My name is Tim Kanfer, and I'm joined by your other hosts, Russ Hepworth-Sawyer and Carola Boehm. I'm recording this intro in September 2022. The recording of the episode, however, took place in August 2020. In this episode, we chat with Kirsten Holmes, a London-based academic and electronic musician who goes by the stage name of Nyoki, spelt N-Y-O-K-E-E. We discuss Pastorgate later. As well as that, we discuss Kirsten's journey from Germany to England, her teaching at the University of Westminster, and her experiences as an audiovisual artist in much demand. We talk new media, ideas of liveness and performance, and a book which at the time Kirsten was finishing off writing. The book is called Performing Electronic Music Live, was released last year, and is full of useful performance tips and excellent interviews with luminaries such as Ableton co-founder Robert Henke and avant-garde electronic music and podcasting legend Holly Herndon. Speaking of podcasting, I'm going to crowbar a swift announcement in. Sound Learnings is super excited to be part of the new Education Through Podcasting Conference, EPOD, which is happening on the 19th and 20th of July 2023 at Morley College London. Please check the links in the notes and we hope to see you there. Back to the chat. One of the highlights of the podcast for me was hearing the gritty ground truth details of working in a genuinely new performance type of online musical performance, and how that compares to traditional performance. We also discuss issues of diversity and currency in higher education, and generally have an excellent time. Enjoy! So, um, I don't know where to start, so I guess I'll start maybe with... um... Well, I moved to the UK to, to study. I studied music tech. I did a master's in audio production and uh, then did a PhD as well. This feels a little bit like a job interview. Then I did the PhD as well. So I did a PhD in uh, sort of sound perception at the University of Surrey, which I was lucky enough it was funded by, by the EPSRC. Um, mm. And I guess I, I was interested at the time in sort of like uh, moving into a slightly more technological field than I suppose, you know, obviously music technology is technology, but I was interested to kind of delve deeper and look at sound perception and acoustics and, you know, what actually makes a great mix from a sort of scientific standpoint. So mm. uh, my PhD was very much about trying to measure the clarity of music mixes. <laughs> and then after that, um, I kind of, you know, at the same time, I kind of worked professionally for a bit, like producing mainly sort of samples and synthesizer presets and producing other artists and all this kind of stuff. Great. Um, and then after my PhD, I kind of, I realized that it was quite nice. I mean, to to sort of work in academia at the time, I, I thought it was, <laughs> it was nice to, I mean, mainly to have the flexibility to kind of follow your passion and and at the same time to kind of like, you know, um educate others i guess you know and it's it, it's quite a flexible thing to be able to do mm. um so i decided to go straight into that rather than going for sort of like a full-time industry career i guess um mm. and i've been working part-time as a lecturer since 2016 just at Westminster. so that's the only kind of place i've been but mm. um in the meantime i'm an artist as well so i'm, I'm an audiovisual artist i perform mainly at like games industry events or i used to <laughs> in the past <laughs> like now yeah. i do it now i do it kind of mostly online so yeah it's interesting, actually. This is this is something we we could talk about if you wanted to. Is is, is online gigging? I've done actually. Oh yeah, please. Surprisingly, lots of that this summer. That's cool. 
Um, I'm writing a book as well now. Like Rudlich have asked me to maybe write a book. So I'm writing a book about performing electronic music live, um, interviewing people, trying to look at, you know, because electronic music can't usually, in most cases anyway, can't be performed in the way that it's produced. So <laughs> yes. um, I sort of thought that would be an interesting thing to write a book about because I don't think there is a book exactly mm. on that, but maybe there is. That could be. I don't know. No, but, um, I- it's very funny because yeah. it, it, it dovetails a bit with mine, so I certainly have to talk to you about okay. that. Okay. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Mine's a different angle. So um, I guess I've kind of gone full circle. I've gone, like I started in a quite creative area, worked in that creative area, then went into yeah. more of like an engineering type place, and now I'm kind of back in the creative space again with, with the book that I'm writing. Cool. Uh, yeah. Nice. That's brilliant. Thank you. Um, so obviously feel free to plug anything that you want all of your all of your creative um creative work we were having a discussion and um probably a bit of a sweepstake on how how best to pronounce your old your electronica alter ego naoki so, naoki ah, right. yeah and some people think it's gnocchi which it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's that's a good example of that live versus electronic, this digital world. Because I saw that on your YouTube channel. Of course, you've got your mm. videos out there, and you you do the videos yeah. yourself. You do the editing yourself, aren't you? Don't you? I do. Yeah, yeah. I do everything myself. Because it's yeah. it's it's a lovely, consistent. Your your identity, your uh, your music. You. you know, it's just it's yeah. all very consistent in that creative you know, sort of theme that goes through. But I saw you also had a yeah. live show there. And the live yeah. show is slightly different, but it's really intriguing to look at the live show. And that's, you know, it gives a completely different experience than the, you know, very controlled, uh, creatively designed, curated uh, expression versus the more live yeah. one. Yeah, I like that description. I mean, yeah, it's 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 definitely fun to play live, but... Actually, I think I've come very much from a background of being a studio producer and kind of like almost approaching the, the the music like a painting where you sort of like put lots of layers in. I know not everyone does that. And obviously for my book, I have to now look at completely different approaches. But hmm. I'm very much coming from that background of creating like this, this pro- product, I guess, that I'm personally happy with. And then I'm like, how the hell can I actually perform this? And um, I sort of I'm using like an Ableton setup so I can remix what I'm doing a little bit. Right. Mm. But actually, I, I kind of really enjoy working with visuals. So I've got this plugin called Ebow Suite, which docks into Ableton and it allows me to actually play video segments mm. in time with the music. So if I'm looping like a scene several times, then I can loop the video for that. So the videos are always on like a screen behind me. Uh, but they adapt to what I'm doing and they sort of like dance to it as well. It's it's really bonkers, nice. but it's yeah, it sits in its hole. I sort of performed at some anime conventions. I'm doing chiptune shows and, and kind of like games, industry events. So, um, yeah, I can talk about the, the online thing. So actually, luckily, I've been lucky enough to have kind of actually some some quite good opportunities in even, you know, during during this time of lockdown or social mm. distancing. So I've, it was it's, it's strange because you can't see the audience. But mm. I played at the, the Women in Games conference. Nice. Right. Um, and they did the entire conference over this platform called Hopin, and I was performing yeah. like in here, like at home. Wow! It's, it's it's a really strange experience. Yeah. Is there any system of feedback? Any idea of did it say how many people, for example, were viewing it at one time? I'm just curious to yeah. know what what kind of system, what the system allows. 
I mean, it's, it depends. It really depends on, on the gig that I've, I've done various mm. different ones. Um, in terms of numbers of viewers, uh, it's when it's, I've done a few on Twitch. So, which is like this, this game streaming platform. Yeah. Mm. Um, and because it's only on one platform, you can just sort of like watch it on another screen and you can see like how many people watch it. Mm. Ah, of course. Right. Um, with the women in games conference as well, I could see the number of people watching it. But then I did another one, which um, I think this is actually one of the sort of slight silver linings of of, uh, of this social social distancing thing is that I got to collaborate with some people from Boston, and that you know I wouldn't have normally maybe done a gig with them because yeah. you know it's, they're quite far away. So they had a company organise all the streaming. They're pinging it out to like Facebook, YouTube, Twitch. So there it was a bit more difficult to tell because it was so scattered. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the second thing you asked about was the the feedback thing, which is a really interesting point because it's obviously really different. You can't mm. see the audience, obviously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which is really strange. So because my music is quite upbeat and it's like mm. you're like out, like rocking out in your living room doing this like full on cardio, and you can't actually see. <laughs> like everyone might just be like lying in bed or just cutting tomatoes. I don't know. <laughs> you wouldn't even know. It's- <laughs> so. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of slightly strange, um, but I don't know. Like, I, I feel like I'm getting used to it a bit. But mm. the nice thing is, often they write comments. So, uh, in both yes. the women in games, but then also the one of the Twitch ones was organised by Yuki. They're mm. like the uh, UK games trade body, and they did it on Twitch as well. And I could watch all the comments as people were typing them. Mm. And it's actually really interesting because you get to see what people think at like a specific point in time in yeah. the song. Yeah. Like normally after a gig, people might come and say, okay, like, you know, I like your overall idea or something like that. But like they could say, like in this case, it could be like this particular synth line is cool or I like this melody yeah. or something yeah. like that. And it, it is a strange one because when we sort of discussed with various of our artists um, at, you know, where, where I am, which is uh, between North Staffordshire and um, Cheshire in, in that area, and we found that actually mostly the artists who were putting on work really disliked working online, but the audiences found it a new or different type of experience, which was really valuable. And some of the audiences, yeah. of course, are really, really liked it. And in general, all yeah. audiences increased with online events than if they yeah. had put it on physically. So there is Definitely. something yeah. about that there that we as artists or you as artists, I'm, you know, I don't want to count myself into that, that, that kind of concept. Um, we, we have to take that on board as well, but also understand that the loss of that physical proximity or closeness of mm. making music together, you know, that that mm. is a value for us. But for audiences, yeah. it, it there is a compensation for that of a different kind of added value that uh, is more important for the audiences than the proximity mm. is for, for the artists themselves. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think, I guess, for for the audience, sometimes they might be all the way at the back. They might not be able to see properly. So they Mm. actually, it's almost like for them, the proximity has increased because they're closer Mm. and they can actually see more Mm. of the actual setup and so on. And I don't think, I mean, I don't think it's it's purely a bad thing. I think a mixture of the two would be really nice, like if it was possible. Um, I mean, I've had I've had gigs as well that you know, some everyone has a gig that feels a bit tough, like. Mm. For example, I've done some anime conventions where everyone is quite introverted and they're all sitting on chairs. It was just like one where it was in this like conference center with like proper like top down bright lighting and everyone's sitting on chairs and it's just like, 
you know, with the type of music that it is, I found I would say that's probably harder than just doing it mm. into a camera. Yeah. That's interesting. So you can be a bit more relaxed. Do, yeah. Do, do you think, Kirsten, that there is there is um a future? I mean, let's try obviously not to dwell too much on the Chancellor's announcement today that anyone who's in music needs to go get a new job. And let's dwell on how the uh. music industry can um adapt. And there's a chap in York called Ben Hammond, who runs Real R-E-E-L recording. It's a studio, but he's a live sound engineer and he's got literally a hangar, he's got a stage, he's got the whole lighting rig, he's got PA, and he's got a TV studio, essentially. And what he's doing is live streams yeah. through a Neve console mm. of bands through these kind of things. He's kind of spent his oh. lockdown time locking down and putting bricks up and actually building this kind of facility and actually you had the foresight yeah. to do it and, it and it looks very impressive do you think you know through the work you're doing and how the audience are, do you see there's a blueprint in this do you think for the future of live music even if we do go back to normal at some point there's a duality between what you guys are doing and ben's doing now and what you you, you know what the, we used to do yeah definitely i definitely think so i don't even think that we would go back to how it was because i think that a lot mm. of people are realizing the advantages of doing stuff from home because there's so much I mean for my partner for example who's like he works he works for Sony Pictures and he had to even though he works mainly with people in the States he had to go into work every day but mm. no his boss has already told him even if he could he wouldn't need to actually go back so right. I think people because you know they're realizing actually his you know his boss sits in LA everyone he works with mm. is in LA so why bother going you know into central London it doesn't really matter because in a lot of technological fields, it's fine. So I think in general, not just in music, uh, people are realizing the advantages of it. And they're probably also realizing the advantages of, of having happen something happening live. And interestingly, um, like I'm, I'm hearing this through my partner because he works in the TV industry. You know, the TV in its traditional form is kind of dying out. You've got streaming where people can mm, have yeah. content on demand whenever they want, but almost now it's kind of moving back to a new version of, of TV again because that live element mm. yeah. is something that, that people actually seem to enjoy because it's it's unfiltered and it just happens there yeah. and then. It's um, So it's more direct in a way. So yeah, Or, or, or podcasts um, that are replacing uh, radio feeds, but at the same time podcasts yeah going on live tours and then uh, bringing in the yeah. live again. Don't expect to see us anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I see that happening in, yeah. in the near future. You never know though. Yeah, I definitely think there's a feeling of like uh, knowing that you're that something's happening at the time that you're watching it that's yeah. um, mm. just different. So like watching films and pre-recorded content on TV is like kind of less good than being just able to stream it at any point. But watching something that's happening at that point um, is nice, you know, and being able to mm. do that in the comfort of your home, I guess it's mm. nice. And and the other thing is as well as you can, you know, you can, I think it's important for artists to, to make it as live as possible. Like you can't just sort mm. of broadcast. I mean, it depends on the genre. You can't really generalize much in, in arts, but I think personally that, it's a good opportunity to sort of make use of that liveness. So when someone writes a comment or when someone does something, you can then directly respond to it. You can have a quite different conversation. Mm. Um, and there's some really like weird income streams coming on. Like on YouTube, there's like a super comment thing people can pay to, like for artists that have lots and lots of viewers, that you can pay to have your comments come up on top and mm. you actually manage to talk to the artist in like a more direct wow. way and you can... I was, I was, that, that leads me on to the next question, actually, which was, 
do you do you see that they're now the platforms are being used on this way do you see that that kind of development's going to happen both sonically both uh, visually and in terms of the interaction do you see the, the platforms developing and changing in any new way um i think they probably will i'm not sh- i'm not personally aware well i mean you mentioned hoppin and hoppin is a good example because oh, yeah, Hop- you know yeah, for instance yeah, hoppin yeah. is is almost like you have 10 zoom calls and um a sort of web presentation where you can live stream so so it's yeah. almost like multiple different kinds of video conferencing systems in one place mm. trying to emulate that networking capability of going to the registration deck, desk, going into one room, going out, going yeah. into another room, or going to the general hall where there's a big speaker. So I think things are changing already because we, we also use Hopin and we actually were thinking of okay. using it just like you actually said, of having some of the expo rooms as individual performances so that you have 10 different creative performances in those rooms yeah. where people can go in and out virtually, which... Um, we have planned but haven't done it yet. Yeah. No, I think I think I suppose actually what I think is that a lot of this technology has always been there, but people are just sort of starting to see the value of it a little bit more now. Mm. We're also mm. thinking about how to actually use it in more creative ways. Like I mean, Zoom has obviously completely boomed. That was there before, but it's just, you know, much, much more there now. And like people are just actually testing out all the different things that you can do on these platforms that have been around but have haven't been used that much. I did I did one gig which was organized by a company called Innocency. They do sort of like sensory meetings, like where you meet new friends and whatever. And they did it was a really strange but cool experience. So it was basically this this it was on Zoom and it was this like meet event where you could meet new people and it uh, it was based on a theme of play. And everyone had to cook their own meal and then talk about it. And I was kind of there to play a song as well. So like one minute I sat there eating couscous and then I was playing my performance. Like <laughs> it was a really strange thing. And and actually I ended up bonding with some people as well. So I think it's like that, that actually the infrastructure is there, but yeah, it's about figuring out what you can do with it. And, you know, I suppose the bottleneck is maybe people's internet at the moment yeah. Yeah. and streaming, like streaming audio at other and so I guess high enough quality. in terms of your creative practice, because when I looked at, you know, your YouTube channel, so you have that very, you know, controlled uh, creative vision in your videos that you make, then you have a different kind of background playing in your live appearances. It seems that you've devised that background playing directly for that performance. Is, is, that, is that right? It's um, it's it's sometimes it's different. It's not always different. I mean, it's mainly different because I'm sort of like remixing the tracks live and, and changing them live. So it's it uses similar-ish kind of material, but like in like similarly to the record, a bit, a bit the same and a bit different. Wow. If that makes sense. Because I was yeah. wondering then when you did the online uh, gig, do you do you yeah. have a yet another type of creative collection of background and foreground and uh, which compositions you play what is live what is played from tape yeah it's it's yeah it's a, it's that's an interesting question i mean it's it's really weird because what i've started doing is i then use another screen that's behind me and it's like recording the screen through the webcam i've tried to so in obs you can sort of like place a video mm. in and like you can share a screen but it was it would end up being sort of glitchy yeah right so I just, I literally actually put a oh, screen wow. with the visuals. So I'll have like the screen behind me. Then I'm obviously performing on the laptop, the same one I'm on now. And then I've got another computer with the webcam recording it. And then I'll have like yeah. an iPad or something <laughs> to like read the comments. 
And last time I set it all up and I was like, great, we're ready to go. And then I realized I started singing. My laptop wasn't plugged in. And oh, no. The oh, no. And, then, <laughs> and what I've been doing recently, so my, my partner has been sort of dressing up as this weird alien character and like dancing yeah, a lot. So I came in and I was like, but my laptop's plugged up. Like, I was sort of like... <laughs> And the microphone, I was, and I was kind of like pretending to like, scratch. And then he was like crawling in his alien mask, like on the table. these that, really weird. That kind of, kind, of, that kind of reminds me of how Peter Gabriel, I think it's ten or ten or twelve years ago in his tour, instead of the performers being the focus, he actually had the, the performers in black, but all of the people on stage, cameras, lights, all in orange. And the, the yeah, focus okay. wasn't on yeah. him and the band. It was on the orange people all the way through the gig. Absolutely That's potty. Cool. Yeah. Really interesting mm. kind of dynamic. So, you know, you should give your partner the leading role now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, kind of, I kind of want to. I feel like it's much more relaxed when you have someone else there that sort of, um, you know, that, that sort of like supports you. I mean, it's another advantage. It's like you wouldn't have before. You wouldn't have traveled to all the different places to perform with me. Mm. But now... Mm. You can do that. So I think, you know, being a solo artist is, can be a bit isolating, but when you've got someone, like, dancing along, then it's hmm. it's also this gimmick that people just like to, like, look at, I guess. So Well, it, it was all right It was yeah. all right for Bez and a few other um, dancers, Keith Flint, RIP, yeah. and so on and so forth, yeah. There's a really interesting quote that I happened upon in terms of what we're talking about in terms of the live performance and electronics and all of that um, from Johnny Marr when he's discussing his experience um, as a guitarist for the Smiths, he, he famously didn't like playing live. He was okay. not a fan of it. He preferred yeah. to be in the studio. As far as he was concerned, he'd want to do back-to-back recordings and that was it. But then when he went to, to front a band, he had to learn and discover what it was, like the the craft of, you know, being a, running a show. Um, they had this great phrase that he came up with about what, what makes a live performance great, which was for him the exchange of energy. Mm. Yeah. And to me that 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 really does that that to me underpins it and I'm curious to know how technology might be able to bridge that because for me I was fortunate to see the John Hopkins uh gig just before lockdown in yeah. uh Manchester and the sound of the audience you almost forget mm. how awesome it is to to be in that sound of people just going this is amazing yeah. and uh, yeah. there's a there's a couple of a couple of hundred or even thousand people there there's that was almost as good as the music that's being performed and you get this wonderful exchange of energy that yeah. where the, both musician feeds off it. And it was always troubled me that electronic musicians could essentially be sending an email, you know, or, or whatever, you know, <laughs> really that sure. There's no convention to say there's no sort of visual agency. You see a, you know, violin, a violinist bow and you, you can put it yeah. tell what's happening. Yeah. But you got the old elbow twist of a, you know, yeah. low pass, <laughs> filthy. You just don't really know. It's just, what, what do you think? Do, do you see any way that online technology might be able to bridge that gap of energy exchange, if you like? I think there's there's a lot in that. I've got various different things that came to mind. So I think I think it's you know it's not gonna. I don't think it will be the same. I don't think that the goal mm. can be that it replaces exactly what would have happened before. I think it makes more sense to look at what new things are possible that maybe weren't possible before. Right. And uh, so the first online gig that I did was with Infinite Lives. It was like a BLM fundraiser and it was a bunch of chiptune people. It was mainly chiptune people. Cool. And there was a lot of energy there in terms of the comments people were writing. And it's not audible. Right. You can't hear it. 
but you can sort of feel it. And afterwards, like everyone stayed online for like another hour just typing things. Right. And it wow. did actually feel strangely live. Like mm-hmm. for some reason, it just felt like you were communicating with the people. Right. And it's almost that cool. thing of because it's in, in this in this game scene, there's a lot of kind of online-y kind of chatty type stuff that goes on anyway. So people are right. quite expressive in the way that they write their messages um, and stuff like that. But I mean, the visual agency thing is is another, I suppose, really interesting point that's that's kind of always has been. I mean, that's part of what I'm trying to think about for, for the book. And I got to interview Matt Robinson, which which was really great. He's um he's the kind of musical director for Bjork's live shows, but oh, also right. um for the cinematic orchestra. And, and we were talking about like, you know, does what you do have to like does what you see have to match what you hear mm. in a live performance. And it seems that all different artists interpret that completely differently. So mm-hmm. for Bjork, it's about, I guess, this this whole thing of, of creating an interesting overall show where you've got some live musicians there. It looks really artistically interesting. Mm. It's got a concept, but it's not necessary that everything you hear is actually created live. So it might be that mm. there's a backing track. Um, but then you've got some, it's more of like a theatrical type approach, whereas in the cinematic orchestra it's it's more yep. like a band kind of setup mm. um and then you've got like live coding i suppose which is entirely different again where it's, it, yeah. where it's actually almost about uh getting rid of that that physicality replacing it with code yeah. <laughs> yes. on purpose yeah. so i think that's an interesting point i'm wondering when it's you know important to have that that visual thing or what i mean we can still do online we can still move yeah. in time to to the music it's just we can't see if the audience is doing that but but it's almost sometimes also mm. like an opportunity to not have the energy being blocked as well yeah. i think like yes. because like i feel like a lot of times sometimes i've played gigs to people that were quite introvert and that in their yeah. heads they're probably partying but they don't know how to physically express that and because no one's dancing no one's dancing mm. so like no one wants to make the first step yeah um but when it's comment based, it's people sometimes almost feel more encouraged to express that. But yeah, I agree that you know you can't really replace the the whole you know the sort of sounds and the feeling of of being in a different space mm. and not being able to get away. Mm. You know? You're right, though. That's really interesting that there's this real need to try to replace an experience when you know maybe it'd be more meaningful to create a new yeah. type yeah. of experience. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I think so. I think I think that's really the, the only way that it can work. And maybe also that's a way of making it keep being a good thing even after, you know, if we go yeah. back to to sort of normal-ish. Well, well that, that's yeah. an interesting one. You know, um, if we ever go back to normal, I mean, should we bring in the big <laughs> E word now, education? And well, talk, talk about um, <laughs> how, has your, how has your teaching experience changed um, in the last month or so, Kirsten? I mean, it's changed, obviously, quite drastically. Um, mm. I would say, actually, again, there's pros and cons. Obviously, the, the toughest thing is trying to stream, do a streaming session on, on audio and production because it's, we're using mm. Blackboard to collaborate, um, you know, Ultra, which is like Blackboard Ultra is, is uh, where stuff gets streamed. Mm. And there's that question of do we kind of do it on a platform where you can stream it better, but then if you've got too many different platforms, mm. then the students will just get confused. It's important to have it all in one place. Mm. But then the quality is, is you know, quite terrible. And one of mm-hmm. uh, one of my colleagues actually lives um, quite far away in a quite rural area, and his internet is incredibly slow, not because, you know, 
he doesn't want to pay for fast internet, but because it's just where he lives, it's just not possible yeah. to have mm. fast enough internet. So I think it's that's the problem is is uh, having that quality there. But I suppose it's nice to a lot of people like the fact that they don't have to travel in. Like, I mean, I, I used to have like an hour and a half yeah. commute. I have to only do that once every week now. So yeah. that's, I suppose, is, is a is a nice thing. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, I think, again, there's pros and cons. There's a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of things that you can discuss with students that don't need high quality. Like if you talk to them about time management or like how they feel or what, what the nature of a task is. All those kinds of things really, I think, are best done actually online or over the phone. Mm. And, and mm. you know, it's not point actually going somewhere to do that. So it's kind of like you can have a more immediate connection with them mm. uh, because of that. But um, obviously, if you, want to, if you want to show any audio stuff, that's when it, when it gets really difficult. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of people aren't trained to create like you know audio visual content and videos and things like that so it's yeah, almost exactly. like the quality is then worse than mm. what you can watch for free on youtube yeah not mm. in terms of the knowledge but in terms of like the production value and, yeah. and people being talking to a camera yeah. and i don't know i don't know what you think this is a theme we've been exploring a lot with the uh, educators we've been speaking to absolutely mm. yeah i mean audio yeah. movers i don't know whether you've heard of it kirsten but aud- yeah, audio yeah, movers yeah. is yeah. is the key i've found for just using whatever the institution tells you you must use and then you send them a nice stream of audio movers and they can hear something nice so it seems to work yeah yeah i've 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 planned to to sort of explore that for sure Mm. yeah yeah this is the thing i mean and and some students really like the fact that they can just watch it from home like there Mm. is there's something quite quite nice about that and they're used to watching a lot of videos online Mm. anyway Uh, but yeah i mean part of what makes going to university special is access to you know studio facilities and access yeah. to gear and access to uh, a lot of stuff that you wouldn't otherwise have and that's really kind of been greatly reduced mm. at the moment absolutely I, I think there's a general worry about how students perceive the value of mm. of a degree um i know i've been yeah. i quite like the online environment because i can control everything there is yeah. a strange uh, disconnect in terms of the whole delivery and seeing who's checking in and yeah, all of yeah, that yeah. stuff, but you know that it's getting used to the, um, the 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 tech. But what I've found certainly with our immediate intake, and it might be a, might be because of what when I'm asking them, i.e., at the beginning of October after a very long period of not really any contact. But I'd, I did just do a quick check in and say, look, we have we have a one or two physical sessions where we want to deliver things and we have to control it very carefully. Yeah. So I just did a quick straw poll. I said, just a quick check. Who, how many of you are happy? Would prefer to do more online? Keep it online. How many would you do physical? All of them physical, completely, no question. Okay. <laughs> it was yeah. completely unanimous. I was actually quite surprised because yeah, mm-hmm. there were some of them is also are quite the gamer types as well who, who, obviously quite adept to use technology and quite happy to work at home and online. I think part of it was they just wanted to be somewhere else yeah. and, and integrate with people. That's all part of the whole thing. Mm. I don't know if you yeah. found that at all. Yeah, I think so. I mean they've 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 sort of have mixed responses, I guess, when you mm. when you ask them do you do you like this or not? Like some of them seem to like it. Mm. Um but yeah it's it's a really strange atmosphere when you go on campus now because everything yeah. is obviously very very reduced like mm. you've got lanes I don't know what it's like for for everyone here but like yeah. you know I'm assuming it's going to be the same but 
um, only one module of the course can be on campus at a time. There's like mm. these lines on the floor where you're allowed to walk. Uh, and actually, you know, like no one's ever anywhere. And you kind of go into this great big room, people sitting in boxes. And yeah. I think it, it must be a bit weird for them. Like, I mean, part of the, the experience of going to university is, is kind of mingling and doing all that. And I feel like a lot, there's quite a bit of anxiety yeah. Yeah. from the students where they just feel a bit inhibited. Like it's, it's almost like that, that we're starting to get a bit scared of real people now. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it, yeah, it's I really think we, sad. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, th I think we have to learn how to be together again after we get through this. Now, what I think I think we should talk about is how um, higher education in the UK differs to your experience, ladies, in Germany. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's it's hard to say because when I went to I went to school in Germany, so I've not had any sort of university mm. experience in Germany. Right. I've only had school experience and then only university experience here. Uh. Mm. So I don't know. I think that from what I've heard, but I wouldn't be sure. Like you know, that maybe like in in Germany, it seems that there's you you have to be. I don't know, this could be completely wrong, but it seems that some people have said you have to be sort of like more self-sufficient. You have to pick all your modules and figure out when they are, whereas yeah. here it's kind of more clearly structured at university, perhaps. I don't know. But then, you know, like... Yeah, and I think you're right. And of course, my experience goes, uh, you know, quite a couple of decades back. So, of course, things have changed also. But I've always sort of suggested that if you want to have a sort of metaphor, German higher education, certainly in my time, was a way of life, whereas British higher education was a rite of passage. And that sort of... Right. Uh, uh, explains also the different attitudes. You know, our first year students who go wild, whereas in Germany, certainly in my time, the incoming first year student was first of all one to two years older and they held a job and they needed to be prepared for a longer period of studying because at that time, mm. you know, studying was a longer um, a kind of process. And there's a sort of yeah. another thing that I sometimes quite facetiously said, this is maybe interesting for us as, as being all lecturers and educators, you know, quite often I sort of suggested, but I should say with a, with a glint in my eye a bit facetiously, that in Germany, <laughs> the student has to prove that they have succeeded, whereas in Britain, the educator has to prove that the student has failed. You know, there, yeah. there is a, in in mm. in the extreme, it is a sink and swim attitude in Germany. But as Kirsten mm. said, it makes mm. also very self sufficient um, students. But you know, certainly mm. in my time, it has changed. But in my time, if two classes clashed uh, and you know there was nothing else that could be done about it, that would just mean I have to study another year in order to get that wow. other class in. So, you know, yeah. so it is that yeah. kind of, um, could you, you know. Could you imagine a UK higher education institution no. doing taking that attitude? Um, oh, man. Absolutely. And of, course, <laughs> and of course, just as another, yeah, another story, I had a physics professor. So I studied electrical engineering as well as music in Germany. And uh, yeah. a physics professor who had in one year, the year before me, luckily, had a 100% fail rate. Whoa. Now, wow. that yeah. was deemed wow in Germany, whereas here that person would have, you know, been kicked out of yeah. the university. You know, it was yeah. extreme at that time. And of course, that was, you know, the, the, the you know, in, for instance, in engineering, I was one of three women amongst 700 men, you know, so mm. it's, it's a large yeah. cohort. 
it's free education. It's or almost free. It was just a pittance of, you know, the student fees were, yeah. were very, very small, uh, which I do believe in. But at that time, it was really extreme, almost the other extreme than the current British kind of higher education um, system. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, I've heard similar stories for sure. I'm not, you know, I just didn't know if that's because of the country or the subject or the fees. I definitely think that there's that because they have to pay so much money that, that it almost has shifted to this customer kind of customer service kind of attitude, which is actually not good for anyone involved because especially in a creative field, if you don't learn to learn and think for yourself, then you can't succeed. And so Absolutely. there's no you can't really spoon feed someone information and then they, they've got it and then they buy a degree. Yeah. Like, and you've had grade inflation as well. I don't know if it's different in other fields in the UK. I'm not sure because I've not really been involved with that. But, yeah, it's, I think it's to do with the fees as, as well. Yeah. Mm. And, did, and you, this- did you then come to, to Britain to really study music production and music technology uh, yeah. uh, that that was uh, because I mean that's also you know this is my journey to Britain was probably twenty years earlier but it was also what Britain was already very well known for is that in universities you could combine the practice as well as the theory and the critical mm-hmm. underpinning of that. Whereas in Germany yeah. you still had that divide between the theory and the practice. So either you studied composition at a conservatoire or you studied musicology at a university, but it was very difficult right. to really uh, join these two things. Um, That's interesting. That's true, actually, yeah. And specifically yeah, no, for music yeah. technology, music production, you want both aspects. You you know, you, you really do need to have both aspects in one place. Yeah, yeah. And I still think there's, this, I suppose, even more room to expand that way you kind of... Actually, because I came, I was a naive 18-year-old, I thought music technology would be quite engineering based and I thought it was going to be like a tough degree where to do a lot of like maths and engineering and work hard to get there and actually the experience was quite different and I almost felt like I was quite surprised that so for example some of the assessments weren't really to do with what happened in the lectures like I was fully prepared to come to the lectures and take loads of notes and then be tested on Mm skills that I'd learned from the lectures but that wasn't Mm. really the case like it's kind of much freer where then you know you have to write an essay about like a choice of topics none of which were part of the lectures so so that sort of I suppose I I think maybe was was cultural culturally a difference where so how many how many women were in your class when you studied music technology and music production as a percentage I think out of I think it's very, very low. I think it was like two out of 20. I'm not right. exactly sure, but it was maybe two, between two or maybe two or three, something like that mm. out, of the, out of the class. It was it was very low, right. yeah. And now as a lecturer, do you see the same ratio or has it improved or...? Uh, oh yeah, so so well. Right now, the course that I teach on is is uh, sort of like a commercial music course that combines different things. So you take mm. a strand in either music production, performance, or business, and there's definitely a really small minority of girls that do production. Mm. Right. And it's a shame because you know it's also sometimes when you go to the performers, you try to get them to exper- experiment with with the technology. They just think that they can't mm. do it or that's not their field or something. Yeah. Which is a bit frustrating, like. And how many are to, how many are doing the business, Kirsten? Out of so, I mean, the, the business is kind of a minority strand, mm. to be honest. Like, there's I don't know how many students there are. I think there may be like sixty overall in the first year, and then like 
I would say 30 do production, 20 sort of do performance or like it's about the same, mm. but then you only have like 10 that do business. Yeah. And of mm. those 10, any, any of them ladies? Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. There there are some, yeah. Yeah, mm. most most of the students are, most of the female students are singers. Right. Mm. And I yeah, think, that, yeah. um, I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of, the, it's problematic in the way that you narrow your, your options down, you know, mm. whereas if, if you're a producer you, and you sing maybe as yeah. well, then... Have you found that split mirrored in your experiences in industry and performing? Um, I'm not sure because I've been, I mean, there's, I suppose, in the games industry, you have a similar thing where most developers yeah. are male. So, but then actually, in for me, sometimes that's meant kind of an opportunity because that's why I was performing mm. at the Women in Games conference. Mm. Mm. But yeah, I, I think so. I think it's just in music, it seems that women sort of make the, Oh, a lot of, I mean, I'm really generalizing now, mm. but that they kind of make the, the sort of shiny front person slash singer. And then, oh, no, that's well established, sadly. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and it's, it's weird for me because the school I went to in Germany, there was, there was really not much of that. Like I did, right. I did A level maths. And so did a lot of other girls and like, you know, people did physics. Like there wasn't really any sense of that being a thing i don't know about like i'm sure that in the german music industry it might might, might be different but that's interesting yeah and i think sometimes i'm i'm not sure it's it's i wouldn't say like i'm not i, I don't think i've particularly been treated unfairly but i feel like sometimes there's a bit of a sense of something between the lines you know when you're teaching like 20 adolescent boys and you look sort of really young because I, I mean i look like a student myself it's kind of just that <laughs> sense of like well who is she like you know, you know yeah. like where you know you feel like you have to kind of be a bit more assertive than you would be if you were like one of the guys maybe yeah well i think there are even statistics you know it's, it's been proven from um uh, you know university surveys student surveys that uh, overall females or get in the average less of a mark than male lecturers and um yeah. you know you you you, you realize that they, you know we have to be much more proactive in diversity you know not just gender diversity yeah. but all sorts of diversity because you know we, we all live in the world that we live in and we've all been raised in a world which was slightly less diverse um and and i think yeah. we have to all afford ourselves to to push that you know frontier a bit more yeah i agree there's a there's a great quote from women's audio mission you, you can't be what you can't see yeah and if there aren't role models and there aren't isn't a, a push towards yeah i do have another question for kirsten if i may ask yeah, it sure. because of course you you are that that sort of uh individual who both has pushed forward in your academic identity and then you have a very distinct creative professional industry kind of identity and you've done also a phd in this area so my question is has that helped your creative practice or has your academic sort of activities whether that's research or whether that's teaching really pushed forward your creative practice or has it been rather a barrier or hindrance or dragging you down so so i guess just a sense of how do these two identities interact with each other i think that's a really interesting question and i think one thing that i'm struggling with is to well, I'm getting there now, I suppose, with the book, but at least initially when I came out of the PhD, I was trying to include both in sort of research, which is very difficult because they're so different. But I mean, they have, they've supported each other in, in other ways. I think that, um, well, my creative practice hasn't really 
supported the psychoacoustic research as much because the area where it came from is so objective and scientific and you know you mm. can't have any of your own opinions so i think that was maybe that was a great thing to do and i think it's a good thing to go a good period to sort of go through for a lot of people that you learn to think incredibly objectively mm. but it can also feel stifling as well mm. so i think it's kind of like you you have to sort of learn to think a certain way and then unlearn it mm. again and then but i do think the way in which the i think that the phd has helped me with my creative work uh, in the way that i've been forced to teach myself stuff mm. so when i first started like i hadn't really used maximus p that much but it was basically like mm. you've got two weeks make a listening test interface go and at wow. first you're like oh my god how am i going to do that but mm. Because of that, I've like later on felt confident to create graphics, to teach myself how to do video editing and just mm. to go in. And so I think it's really helped in that way of, of kind of thinking, you know, like you don't have to be able to see the entire path to get started and mm. learn something. You can teach yourself anything, really. Mm. So in that way, it's really helped. Nice. Yeah, that's great. Let's get let's get to the last question, if that's OK. Sure. Um, what does the future hold for Kirsten Hermes? Of, uh, you meant sort of in general for the universe. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, we ex I expect you to speak on behalf of the universe. If you have the answers for the world leaders, Kirsten, please let them know now. But if not... It's, always, it's all the 5G posts that are causing oh. all the problems. But future for me, I think I'm going to watch a bit of TV after this. That's Good. my future. No, I don't know. <laughs> it's well, you've got your book, you've got your music. Oh, what, what, yeah. what, what, what's the general plan? I'm not entirely sure. I think, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, there's various different things that, that I'm sort of exploring. Like, I, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe sort of be a reader or grow my research kind of profile. But I'm right. also interested in kind of industry opportunities. I think, I guess, I'm just waiting for combination things that, that combine, because I've, I've got such an oddly sort of mixed skill set, I suppose, kind mm. of just something will come up that's going to sort of fit this weird mould of different things that's mm. at a slightly higher level of where <laughs> I am now, maybe. But what that is, I don't know. And especially now, it's obviously very difficult to tell with the situation that mm. we're in. But, I mean, kind of want to definitely continue. Uh, or if, I mean, for now, I'll just finish the book. It will come out next year, hopefully. Or I'll finish writing it, and then I don't know how long it will take six for months. it to then come out. Six months. Mm. Okay, six months. So that should still be <laughs> next year then. <laughs> Do you, do you have a yeah. title that you can that you can uh, that you can share with us so that we can you know give listeners a taste of what to expect? Yeah, performing electronic music live. It's nice. Called. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and it's with Root Ledge. So I mean, right now we just want to focus on finishing that and continuing kind of creative ideas that I've got as well, and see what happens as as a result. Of that you know, if some people read it, then that will be nice. <laughs> they will. They really will. Oh, I definitely will, absolutely. Mm. And my yeah. students will, I'll make sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, apart from that, I don't know, I'm open-minded, really. Cool, that's a great answer. Do you want to get a, a more permanent teaching job or a full-time teaching job? Is that is that the plan, or a plan? Or are you just no, literally I mean, open I've... to anything? <laughs> no. Well, it depends, it depends. It's Currently, the situation is so that it's, you know, it, the research hours are quite low compared to the teaching hours just because of the overall. It's the same at any point, you know, even mm -hmm. if you are doing full-time, you know, if you've got more of a research job, there's still quite a lot of teaching. So right now I feel mm -hmm. like in order to grow my research portfolio mm -hmm. and be an artist, 
So I'm actually doing, I guess, three different things. I'm teaching, I'm doing research, and I'm being an artist. Mm. And I feel like if I did a full-time teaching job now, then I probably wouldn't have time yeah, for those other fair. things. Mm. Absolutely. So, so yeah. yeah, I've been offered it and have declined it. Well, no, that, that's really, that's <laughs> really fascinating because that talks into a lot of things we've talked about with other guests over the, the thing. Yeah. You know, the idea and the balance between what makes you as a, an asset to both the students and the institution. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, profession, your professional practice is important and how it's so undervalued yeah. in, you know, the uh, workload yeah. planning and um, the teaching loads and yeah. so on. And, you know. Yeah, I would definitely, I definitely agree. I think that it's um, the, the most valuable things that I can bring to the table and, and sort of tell the students is, is based on things I've experienced. So like now I've just done a lecture about performing online. So if I hadn't performed online, like I wouldn't yep. even have anything to say really about. Yeah, something. exactly. That's great. I, and I love the kind of underpinning message. Uh, it's a horribly overused word, particularly in tech, but that the, the need for agility. That students <laughs> don't really appreciate that they come in. I want to be a, a mix engineer all the time. I'm like, well, great, yeah, brilliant. Yeah. I'll help you with that. You might want to broaden your your uh, perspectives a bit, and maybe think of diversifying because, because yeah, you know, because you need to. <laughs> yeah, 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 and this is it. And I think you know, because the music industry is changing so rapidly, and even oh, yeah. like no, I mean, the the sort of record died, and no live performance has died. <laughs> like, yes. like, what do we do now? I mean, it's not died. It's what we said earlier, but like, it's it's about it's in this constant state of flux. So if if mm. I'm there's a lot of people that have been really, really successful mm. producers and mix engineers, you know, 30 years ago or something that, that are lecturers and, and they, they're obviously great at communicating the things that they've learned then, but it's, it's, mm. I suppose, really useful as well when you actually got the, the experience of doing it now and, mm. and actually mm. looking at what the world is like now. Absolutely. And look, at, but I think, you know, it takes a, a youthful perspective to see, the opportunities that maybe you know the fact you're using twitch in a certain way because you're in the gaming industry might not be something that one of those 30 year older human beings might not know but thank you so much Kirsten. thanks thank you. brilliant yeah as, thanks for having me so every bit as good as we'd as we'd hoped thanks for listening to episode eight of sound learnings sound learnings is produced by tim camphor russ hepworth sawyer and carola boehm Editing and mastering is done by Ross Hepworth-Sawyer. Mixing and music composition in this episode is done by me, Tim Canfer. Coyle Boehm does the show notes and the social media. Sound Learnings is hosted by Acast, and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review or give us a shout on your favourite social media platform. It really does help. We have one more great conversation on its way for Season 1, and new plans for podcast production pipeline and efficiency. Bye. Bye. Bye.